Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. It's always good to be in God's house. And this morning I've titled my sermon, Becoming Imitators of God. You can also say imitators of Christ, but becoming an imitator of God. What does it mean to be an imitator of God or an imitator of Christ? And this whole idea is captured in the uh, book of, or sorry, the letter, Paul's letter to uh, Ephesians. And it's chapter 5 and verses 1 all the way to, to 21 basically captures this idea of what it means to be an imitator of Christ. <coughs> sorry, chapter uh, 5 verses 1 through 20. When it says imitators. It's talking and the reference it makes is the way we live our lives. It's in regard or in reference to the way we live our lives or the way we walk our walk. Paul's been talking about that for the past few chapters. Remember you know, chapter 4, the first three chapters, it's, it's very vertically, there's this, uh, this didactic portion, the teaching portion, where it's so theological. And now when he comes to chapter 4, remember there's this marked turn, a very significant pivot where he turns, turns from, okay, this is the theoretical, now here's the practical. And he, and he starts with that in chapter 4, and he continues in chapter 5. This, and clearly there's this connection. Remember chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2 sets the tone. I urge you, therefore, brothers, what in view of Christ's mercy, that he says the same thing in chap Romans chapter 12. He says the same thing right here in chapter 4 where he says to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so he's just following up on that part right there. And how do you live a life uh, in a manner that's worthy of the calling? By being an imitator of God. Again, it's all connected. How are we to become imitators of God? How do we become imitators of Christ? By walking the walk that he's talked about earlier. By walking the walk. And again, Paul is describing that walk right here. And there are three main ideas that stand out in this passage when it comes to walking the walk. Three ideas that line up with the whole idea of being an imitator of God or an imitator of Christ itself. And I'm going to read from the New American this morning. The first one actually is walk in love. Walk in love. And it's chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2. And walk in love just as God also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Again, I'm reading from the New American Version. And so the first thought is walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And here it is, verse 2. And walk in love. Drop down all the way to verse 6 through 8. The first one is walk in love. The second one is this, walk in the light. Walk in the light, and it says from verse 6, again, I'm reading from the New American. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God 
comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7 now. Therefore do not become partners with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness. And it's pretty significant. He's saying you were not part of the darkness. You were once darkness itself. But now you are light in the Lord. And here it says, walk as children of light. How do we imitate Christ? By walking in love, by walking in the light. And the third thing that we see all the way down in verse 15 and 16. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. Verse 15, so then be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Very clear three points if you want to call it that. Walk in love. Walk in light or walk in the light. And walk in wisdom. That's how we are imitators of God. Imitators of God. Therefore be imitators of God as God's beloved children. Of course, The NIV says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. Follow God's example. Now you've got to understand that this is not something new that Paul is coming up with. About being an imitator. It's not some revolutionary idea that Paul is just putting out there in terms of being an imitator of God. Or imitating God. It goes way back and as his beloved children, and this is the part, as his children, we are partakers. We need to understand this. We are partakers of his divine nature. We are partakers of this divine nature. And because we are partaking of his divine nature, we are able to imitate God. Because now we are children of God. We can imitate God. The expectation is to imitate God, to be like God or to be like Christ. And we know it's picked up in Peter later on where it says, and Peter actually gets it all the way back in Leviticus where he says what? Just as much as we are called to be imitators, thank you, imitators of God and walk in light, he also says what? Be holy for I am holy. It's an expectation that there is right from the beginning. It's the same idea. Be an imitator of God, it doesn't mean, please don't, don't, don't misunderstand this whole idea of being an imitator in God and partaking in His divine nature doesn't mean anything to do with His creative idea, this creative sense at all. We're never going to be like God in that manner. It's never in terms of His omniscience or His omnipotent, omnipotence and His, what else, omnipresence. It's not that at all. We don't partake of that part. But what it's talking about is about partaking and being like Him in manners of love, in light, in wisdom. And of course, another part in terms of holiness. We walk in love. We walk in light. We walk in wisdom. And of course, please understand, it's not the idea of sinless perfection at all. The Bible never demands that, but that's not an excuse to not follow Christ wholeheartedly. Let's look at the first one, and I think I have... I have three, but I'm going to go and try and finish at least one and two today. We always, again, emphasize the first one is this walk in love. Follow God's examples, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. 
walk in love. And we always emphasize the context in which this is being said. Please understand, the chapter divisions were later editions. This is Paul just writing a letter. And so to emphasize the point, you emphasize the context. You've got to see what this love, when he's talking about imitating God, what is he talking about? And it's right in the verse above that, which is chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 32. You've got to read it all together. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now follow his example and walk in the way of love. That's the context. The connection right here. Again, take off, take off the, the, the chapter division. The walking in love is connected to what? Imitating God because in Christ God forgave us. The walking in love is connected to forgiveness right there in this context. The walking in love as God forgave us in Christ. Now follow that example. Follow that example. The love he's talking about right here again is in relationship to forgiveness. And we need to understand this because it is a foundational truth. It's a foundational truth. God's love was manifest primarily through forgiveness. That's how God's love was manifest. That's how it, it was the outworking of his love is primarily seen in forgiveness. This is so fundamental to our faith. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. That's the reward, but what changes? Forgiveness. That's the whole point. Because we are forgiven, now we enjoy eternal life. God's love, because of his love, we are forgiven, and what we get to enjoy is eternal life. You cannot separate God's love from the fundamental purpose of forgiveness. Because we are forgiven, we enjoy eternal life. The motivation was love as he sacrificed his own son. But what did Christ's sacrifice accomplish? Forgiveness of sins. And because of that, we enjoy eternal life. Eternal life is our inheritance because we are forgiven. Yes, we have grace. Yes, we have mercy and all the other stuff that we've talked about in Ephesians. Rich Christianity, the rich inheritance is ours because we are forgiven in Christ. Because we are forgiven in Christ, we enjoy a rich inheritance. Rich inheritance. His love manifests itself, and I'll use this phrase, in sacrificial forgiveness. That's the challenge right there. Sacrificial forgiveness. That's what it means, and that's what he's calling us to. Imitate God. Imitate God. Be imitate, imitators of God. And of course, the word imitate, the whole idea is to mimic to mimic, to follow his example, to pattern our lives, to pattern our lives after. And in this case, Paul is saying, pattern your life after God in the area of sacrificial forgiveness. That's what the context tells us. 
know some of us are going in our heads like, yeah, that's a little too much. And I don't blame you. I, I think the same way when you read this the first time. How can I ever do that? That's impossible. Yes, it is impossible in our strength. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Walk in love. Please don't ever dismiss it as an impossibility to walk in that kind of love. Don't use it as an excuse not to try because we all have the capacity to love in this way because now we are partakers of God's divine nature itself in terms of his love. We all, please understand, we all have the capacity to love like God loved. Maybe not to the total extent of his love, but we all have the capacity to love that way. 1 John 4 verse 7 and 8 says what? Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, it says it straight. It's kind of simple right up there. So please don't ever say you can't walk in love and forgiveness. Because if you claim to know God, then you are born of God. And then you do not, if you don't love that way, that means you don't know God. So if you claim to know God, you've got to learn to love that way. Because we're all capable of loving that way. God is love. I know it's a challenge, but you can never truly know God. And hear me out when I say this. You can never truly know God unless you have first experienced His forgiveness. If you have experienced His forgiveness, you know God. And now that you know God, you got to love like God loves, which is sacrificial and forgiveness. It's simple, yet one of the greatest challenges we face to walk in love. And the context here is sacrificial forgiveness. Walk in love. And let me digress for a moment real quick here because it's such a passion of mine. And I think, turn with me to First Timothy Chapter 1, real quick. Just a few pages to your right, if you can. Unless you're reading it in the Hebrew. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm reading from the New American again. I know in the NIV it says the goal of this command, but in the American says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. The goal of teaching and preaching is not just to get sound doctrine, but it's so that you love like God loves. The goal of All the teaching and the preaching is not so that we get a better knowledge of God and stay at that. It's so that we learn to love like God loves. That's the point. Because we are called to be imitators of God. 
imitators of God. That's why Paul says, walk in love. Here he says it. He said it several other places. We know 1 Corinthians 13. He says what? You can speak in the tongues of man or tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, what's the point? You're just a loud, annoying person. That's it. That's what he means. Just an unpleasant noise. Yes, and at the end, what does he say? There's faith, there's hope, and the love. And the greatest of this is what? Love. Walk in love. Love manifests itself in sacrificial forgiveness. Now, if you say you can't do it, you have to go back all the way. That means the love of God is not in you. That means you don't know God at all. So what's your excuse for not trying? Imitate Christ by walking in love, by learning to be sacrificial, sacrificially forgiving. And Paul just lays it out there, really, right here in the beginning of this passage. Again, the main challenge of our lives as Christians is to love. Love, nothing else. And love needs to be defined, again, by that eagerness and the willingness to forgive. It's so easy to preach and hard to practice. That's the truth. What is the greatest expression of love? You just have to listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 13. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a warm sentiment. No, he's talking about sacrifice where he says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Love is never just an emotion. When he talks about it, the highest form of love is sacrificial. Now imitate Christ. Imitate God that way. The greatest act of love is complete self-sacrifice. Even giving your life if necessary for someone else. Now none of us have done that because we're here alive right now. But I really wonder how many of us are willing to do that to that extent. It's an extreme, like one preacher said, it's an extreme kind of love that reaches out to someone who is not perfect, someone who is not deserving, someone who is unrepentant and says, I will give my life for you. I will die so that you might live. Now what about that? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he loves us. And that love was changed into or manifest in forgiveness. This is the call to imitate. Imitate that kind of love. That's what he says in verse 32. We read the context. God forgives us just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the love he's talking about. As God in Christ has forgiven you. Turn with me to First John Chapter 2, I think it's important to understand why did God forgive us? Yes, because he loves us, but 1 John 2 verse 12, it says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now the translation says, 
for we are forgiven for his name's sake. For his name's sake, yes, forgiveness benefits us, but it is also for his glory to be displayed. When we walk in love, we display Christ's forgiveness, his love for the world to see, for his name's sake, for him to receive all the glory when they see us walk in love. His forgiving sins, he gives us, oh, sorry, he forgives sin to put his grace on display, he, to put his mercy on display, to put his compassion on display, to put his love on display. And when we walk in love, we display that forever and ever through all eternity. Products of his, his for his glory. Products for his glory, that's it. Get what the Bible is saying at church. You cannot, you cannot love like God unless you first experience His forgiveness. If you want to be like God, you have to act towards people who offend you the same way God had acted towards people who offended Him. Hard. Don't buy into the lie. That's just who I am. That's impossible because, like I said earlier, in, and Paul says this earlier, because now you're filled with what? The whole fullness of God. So don't ever, there's no excuse really. Yes, we battle the flesh, but there is no excuse to not forgive. Because now he says you are full of what? The fullness. You have been filled with the fullness of God. You have the Holy Spirit within you and with you. Therefore, walk in love. Walk in love. You'll know this already. The Holy Spirit, it's not just about all the things that we can do with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the empowerment to transform our lives to be imitators of God. To make us more like Christ. And love. Live. Walk in love. Again, it's not just me. It's Paul who says that. We just read it earlier. If you don't have love... You're just a loud, resounding gong. The love of God is not really in you, John says. Being an imitator is becoming more and more like Christ and walking in love, evidenced by the willingness and eagerness. Man, we hate that word. To forgive others the way God has forgiven us. Now walk in love. It's not easy to do, but it's what the world desperately is looking for and needs right now. That's what the, the world is desperate to witness, genuine people who walk in love, walk in genuine, genuine love. And, and my mind always goes, whenever, excuse me for sounding harsh, it's hypocritical to not love in that way as a Christian. Sorry if it sounds harsh, but it's hypocritical to not love the way God loves us. I mean, I think about that parable that Jesus says, this guy has no money, he owes that master so much money, and he goes, begs him, the master forgives him. What does he do? He goes out and catches the guy that owes him literally nothing and has no mercy on him. That's how we are. If we are not, allow, are not willing to walk in love and to be sacrificial in our forgiveness, we're being exactly like that guy who got so much forgiven, yet is unwilling to forgive something small. 
That's called a hypocrite. Now he says, walk in love. Walk in love. If you claim to know God, the only way to know God is by experiencing his love through his forgiveness. Don't be the one who says he loves God but can't imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in love. Secondly, walk in the light. Walk in light. Verses 6 through 8, it says, See that no one deceives you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Again, I mentioned this last week. These extremes are not to look down on other people, but it's to tell us we are different. We have a different calling. We were dead, but we are made alive. We put off and we put on. And now it says you were darkness, but now you are light. It's consistent with what he's been saying. It's kind of, I love this analogy right here because think about it. When he created the world, I mean, he, he called the light and he, you know, and the darkness. He separated that right at the beginning. And you got to think about it. Where was, you know, the sun and the moon and everything else was created only on day, what, four, right? Where he, he made this thing to govern the day and this to the other light to the smaller, lesser light to govern the night and, you know, the sun and the moon. But where did all, where did that light come from before the sun and the moon? Just interesting, and I know there are several theories about that, but... It's just interesting because this contrast between light and darkness is there right from the beginning of the Bible itself. And of course, the light, uh, the darkness, the light indicates purity and holiness and things that go with that. And of course, the darkness is for sin and wickedness and, and things that go with that. Most of us know, of course, the first uh, book in the Bible. Most of us know the first author in the Bible. Most of us probably know the first words in the Bible. But we need to know what the first words God spoke in the Bible were. What? what? Let there be light. And I love the Hebrew part. It says, let light be and light was. I just love the part that's there. It just is. That's it. Not complicated. What happened in three days prior, and it always, I know there are several explanations, but I like what First John says, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Amen. Psalm 104, 2 says the God clothes Himself in light. If you went into the Holy of Holies, if you could dare to go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was poured out on the altar right there and it uses the word Shekinah, glory, which is basically a reflection of light, a reference to light. And, and I like to think the first three days, that's all it was. His glory. I know there are theories with everything, but I'm, I'm not surprised that Paul says, live like light. You want to be an imitator of Christ? Live or walk in love and walk in light. Of course, the two purposes of light, it dispels darkness, but it also attracts attention. It dispels darkness. 
but it also attracts attention. In fact, the thicker the darkness, the brighter the light seems to appear, even though it really hasn't changed. It gets a lot more attention. I was reading a story about a group of people who went into, they were just exploring these caves and they went into these deep caves with their guide and they get all the way to the bottom and the guide suddenly turns off the light and of course there is like pitch darkness. I mean, he warns them about it, of course. And he says, you can put your hand right up to your face, you can feel the warmth of your hand, but you really can't see your hand. It's that dark. And then while they are there, everybody's quiet, everybody's just sitting down, you can't see anybody, the guide just lights a small match. And he says, and that, I mean, lights up everything in that cave. I just look at that and I think about that. How God has called us to walk in light. The light shines brightest when the darkness is the greatest. And now he says, walk in light. Walk in light or walk in the light. <coughs> the light dispels, dispels darkness. It is, it dispels darkness, but it also gets attention. Also gets attention. A rabbi a few years before, right in the beginning of his ministry, you know, he was sitting on a mountain, on a mount or a hillside, preaching a sermon that we call the Beatitudes, right? Eight Beatitudes. And right after that, what's the analogy he uses? You are what? Salt and you are light. It's kind of amazing that he uses those two uh, word pictures, if you want to say, those two, uses those two about salt and light. And he says here, Paul is picking up on that and he says, walk in light. Walk in the light. Of course, the Beatitudes, we know what Jesus says in, uh, uh, in Matthew 5 verses 13 onwards. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. And then this is the verse. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify God, your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of walking in love is so that what? We experience forgiveness and are able to forgive people and thus display the glory of God is the same thing when it comes to light. We shine, this light shines for His glory alone. His glory again, alone. Salt and light. Kind of interesting, like I said, you know, we don't dump all the salt and hope to make it tasty. We don't. We sprinkle salt. It's kind of interesting, like I said, and I thought this was funny as I was reading through this. Someone said this, Christians are like manure. Hang on. And this is in, this is in the context of Matthew 5. Christians are like manure. Pile them up in one place and they don't do any good. They just stink. You spread them out and then you'll see a lot of good stuff grow out of them. I don't know. I just thought it was funny in that context I had to share. Yeah, salt and light. You don't dump salt in one place, do you? What about light? Nobody puts a light under a basket. No one does that. But what do they do? They put it on a hill. 
Because that light dispels darkness, but it also attracts attention. Like what one person said, when God made the moon and the sun and the star, he spoke his light into them. I thought that was really good. Never heard that one before. He spoke his light into them. The sun always has light, but the moon is always darkness. Remember this. The moonlight that we call moonlight is actually just the moon reflecting sunlight. Mark Twain said, we're all like the moon. We have a dark side. We don't want anybody to see. But in the sun, there is no darkness. The moon just reflects the light. And I'm not trying to give you a science lesson here, but... The object lesson idea in my mind is a mirror. That's all it is. What is the point? If I had to turn off all the lights here and if I had a mirror, what's the point? The mirror is useless unless there is a source of light. Don't ever think, yes, this little light of mine, that light is not your light at all. Yes, let it shine, but it's not your light for once. Don't ever make that mistake. It's God's light. We are called to live in that light and we reflect light. We reflect His light. A mirror is only useful in a dark room unless there is a source. God is the light source. And when we walk in the light, when we walk in light, we reflect God for the world to see and the world to be attracted to. Walk in light. Walk in light. The whole idea, of course, that, you know, that song is, you know, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yes, this little light of mine, that's good. It, but the whole point is, ties up to what Paul is saying, be an imitator of Christ. Be an imitator of Christ. Walk in love. Walk in light. Just as salt has lost its saltiness, that lost its saltiness is no good. If you are not reflecting the pure light of Christ, you are not doing what God has called you to do. It's not complicated. It's something we all know. We walk in the light. That's how we imitate God. Again, it's this contrast that Paul pulls from, uh, that Paul shows all the time death to life, old self, new self, darkness to life. And of course he says, see that no one deceives you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Nothing. Again, you don't have anything to do with those other people. Again, please, we're still meant to be in the world, but we are not off the world. We don't go live our lives in a, some kind of mountaintop with no contact with the darkness. No, we don't. We shine in the middle of the darkness. And of course, he goes on to say in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of the darkness. Darkness and light, they're set apart, they're set apart against each other all the time throughout scripture. But the main idea is this, the people in the light are the people talking about believers. The people in the dark are the unbelievers. 
As one commentator put it when he describes the darkness, the darkness of this world is deep, it's profound, it's ever increasing, it's a spiritual black hole engulfing the world into which the world plunges deeper and deeper all the time. That's why we need to step up and live the light, walk in light. This contrast is seen several times. You just read through. I found several scriptures I was looking up. Do not, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness of fellowship has light with darkness. Colossians 1, 12. Give thanks to God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 4 and 5. Sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, But brethren, are not in, uh, sorry, uh, are, not in, are not in darkness that day when you, sorry, I'm lost this words. We are not of night or darkness, he says. 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The point is this, we have to stand in contrast to the world. We who live by the word versus they who live in the world. There is a difference. There is a difference. Darkness, he says, goes on to say, it represents depravity because of the human condition. It represents deception because we are, like Paul says earlier, we were darkened in their understanding. It, it, it represents death. It represents the ultimate destruction in hell. So many things that go with darkness, but he says, hey, we're no longer darkness. We are light because of God's light shining through us. Set apart. Walk as children of the light, Philippians also says. Walk as children of the light. I want to end with this. The last verse right there in verse 9 talks about the fruit of this light consists of what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. What are the marks of someone walking in the light? Here, goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's the whole. Again, connects to the same part, you know. Put off the old, put on the new. What does the new deal with? It says, this is what it is. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. The goodness, is, uh, goodness that he's talking about right here is just talking about moral good in comparison. Moral good, uh, comparing it to just evil, just general contrast into evil. But also talks about being Having no malice, no ill will, no ill intent, just good. Goodness, righteousness, of course, and then truth, which is based on God's word. That's it. No falsehood, nothing. As Christians, we walk as children of the light, producing the fruit of the light, fruit of light, which is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Walk in love. Walk in truth. That's why we're called to be imitators of God. If you want to imitate Christ, if you want to be imitators of God, walk in love, walk in truth. Shine that light because it dispels darkness, but it also gets, it also gets attention. Please, and, and there's a verse right there. It says, you know, it exposes the darkness. 
The point is not confrontation right there. I've, I've, I've not met people who've said, I became a Christian because I lost a good argument with someone. No. Most of the time what I hear is I became a good Christian because I saw the light in someone else or the light or his love came upon my life. That's how we win people. What do you expect in a dark cave? Really, who do you expect? What do you expect in a dark cave? They are lost. What do you expect? Something different? That's why we shine the light because this light brings hope. There is a way out for them. There is hope for them. And so we live as people of the light. And please be careful. Let me end with this. Please don't ever shine your light in people's faces. We're good at that sometimes. Don't shine your light in people's faces. Shine your light on the way they can find a way out of the darkness. That's the calling. Let your light shine. Let your love shine through you. God's love shine through you. Bow your heads with me at this time. Judge, honestly, nothing new here. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard this, you know this. But the challenge is to live it as we imitate Christ. Imitators of God. Walk in love. And that love is tied up to sacrificial forgiveness. Such a challenge. I'm not... I'll, I'm not standing up here preaching to you. It's preaching to me too. Walk in love. Walk in light. serious about imitating God becoming an imitator of Christ himself here's the challenge right there here's the challenge given to us to walk in light and walk in love walk in wisdom we'll look at that next time understand this contrast which is so extreme between believers and unbelievers it's not for us to look down on them it's because we have experienced forgiveness that we are willing to forgive because we have tasted his goodness we offer that to people don't shine your light in their face. Shine the light on the way that they can follow so that they will see Christ for themselves. Let's all stand to the feet and worship God for a moment. Time to give.
your prayer is that all of us have this desire to be more like Christ. That all of us have this desire to be more like Christ, which simply is being an imitator of God. Follow his example, pattern, pattern our life like his. If that's our desire, this is what the challenge is. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now follow God's example as dearly beloved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God, give us the strength, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower us, Lord, to walk in love and to walk in life, in light. To be imitators of God himself. We commit ourselves into your hands, O God, because you are able, more than able, to do far more than what we can think or imagine. When our strength ends, that's where you pick up the slack. We trust in you. We trust in you. We give you praise, God, and we give you glory. For you alone are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah.